Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. It is Thursday, December. What is it? <laughs> I think it's December night. Can you tell I have a cold? Um, this is Steve Hargadon. Our guest tonight is Julie Young from Florida Virtual Schools. Welcome, Julie. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Well, I know you're very busy. We really appreciate that you take the time. The Future of Education is supported by my employer, Illuminate, which is now Blackboard Collaborate. The project I work on is called Learn Central. It's a free social network for educators that has Illuminate baked in. We hope you'll come and test it out. We think it's the cat's meow. hope that you find something valuable there. The Future of Education has been nominated for a 2010 EduBlog Award. If you're so inclined, you can go to EduBlog. Uh, edublogawards.com. I think I've got that right. Let me put the URL up and give a vote. This is a vote tallied award, so your votes are appreciated. If you feel like more people learning about the show would be valuable. Coming up next week, a really fun week. Deborah Meyer on Tuesday night, Alfie Cohn on Thursday. Um, I don't know what I'm gonna, how I'm going to get any other work done trying to catch up on all the reading I'm going to need to do to prepare for those two interviews. Karen Cater will join us in January to talk about the 2010 EdTech plan. Ira David Sokol, Will Richardson, Barnett Berry, Karen Hume, David Perkins, Sandy Hirsch, lots of fun ahead. If you've missed a future education show, they are all recorded. Uh, earlier this week, we talked to Karen Egan on reimagining education. That was really a lot of fun. Phil Schlecke before that, Matt Levins and Steve Farr. You can see there lots of names. If there's something that interests you, we'd hope that you will go listen to the recordings and that you find value in them. If this is your first time in Illuminate, it is a participative environment. There are a number of emoticons at the bottom of the participant window you can use to express yourself. The hand with the green up arrow is how you'll raise your hand. We will go to Q&A and let you ask questions. You can ask questions um, by raising your hand and we'll give you the microphone and you can put the questions in the chat. If you do think you're going to use the microphone, uh, please go up to Tools Audio and run the Audio Setup Wizard. Make sure your mic is working. Uh, you'll notice that you can leave messages in the chat, but if you use the default view, it's actually hard to watch the, the chat because it will go by too quickly. So I recommend you go up to View Layouts and switch your layout to the wide layout. For sessions like this where there's normally a fair amount of chat, it makes it a lot easier to see that chat. So that's View Layouts and Wide Layout. We're going to give you your first chance to participate by letting us know where you're listening from. You can use the wand to the left of the map. That's the stick with the red star at the end, or the laser pointer as it's known. You click on that and then click on the map. It's also fun if you shout out in the chat. Let us know maybe where you are, what the time and temperature is where you are. There's a lot of cold in the U.S. right now. So always fun to have people from a variety of areas. We sure appreciate your participating. And if you're listening to the recording, thank you. Again, we know that not everybody can make every session live, and glad that you're taking a chance to listen. So Julie, we talk about the future of education on the show a lot, and I think much of it ends up being theoretical. You're really on the ground making this happen. Um, what, what kind of a ride has it been? So oh, that's a great question. And um, <laughs> I'm, I met with Governor Bush today, former, former governor of Florida, and um, had a wonderful meeting about from whence we came um, because as you know Steve and some of you know uh, he was the governor that was in place when Florida Virtual School began and um, I remember the day that I was in his office and he said I'm looking forward to the day that you have a hundred thousand students and um, I think at the time we probably had less than 20,000 and I remember going home to my leadership team and telling them that and watching their faces go white and their eyes kind of get really large 
And then, <clears throat> of course, today we have well over 100,000 students that are participating and expect to have 250,000 at least half credit completions this year. So it's been a, an amazing ride. It has been a privilege. Um, I think what has been the most fun about it is to be able to, 14 years ago, sit down and say, what would we do if we reinvented education around the student? <clears throat> and on that day, we said, well, we would certainly design everything we do around the student needs. And we would individualize the pace. And we would make sure that when they left us, they understood and they learned. And we would reward them for what they learned. And we would let them enroll any day of the year. And over the last couple of months, I've been in many um, uh, US forums and national audiences. And as I listen to people speaking, important people speaking, and they say things like, you know, we must remove seat time. Uh, students need to move at their own pace. Uh, we must design our schools around the student rather than the adult. You know, I, I kind of sit there and I kind of smile. And I think, you know, it, it really has caught on. And we are a key part of <clears throat> where the movement is going today. So um, it, it has been an amazing ride. So I was really struck as I went back. Uh, Michael Horn was on the show um, and, and, and talked about the white paper they did on Florida Virtual Schools, Florida Virtual School, and I, and I read some of the other material I had. And I think what, what struck me the most was that there were sort of several kind of seminal moments at which, not necessarily by choice, sometimes not by choice, decisions were made that have really had a long-term impact. Um, one was the original grant. Um, another for me was the shift from the vision of a diploma granting to a supplemental program. Um, and then the performance-based funding. Do you want to talk about what you sort of feel like have been the big moments? Sure. You know, when we started, um, if you saw any of our publications from those first, probably from 96 to 2001, um, we would always speak to the press and we would say we were going to be the first diploma granting virtual school in the country, if not the world. And when the time came to actually look at, because we had set a target for 2001, <clears throat> we actually um, surveyed our students. And at the moment, at that time, 99% of them said why. And so, um, we knew that when we granted a diploma, we would be competing with our districts rather than complementing our districts. And so we kind of took a step back and said, okay, so we're serving the need that the public needs for us to serve at the time. And <clears throat> we backed off of, of that goal, so to speak. That certainly was a seminal moment because it was like, wow, we've been saying for five years we're going to be the first diploma granting virtual school, and we changed our minds. Um, the second moment was when we went from being a line item to an FTE or per pupil funded driven uh, organization. <clears throat> and in 2003 in the state of Florida, the class size amendment passed. And when the class size amendment passed, everything that was a line item just immediately zero budgeted because the cost of um, <clears throat> supporting the class size amendment was going to be just just outrageous. So anyway, overnight we became a per pupil FTE model, which then competed to some degree with the districts. We had been preparing for this, but we never knew when it was going to happen. And I think that um, the day that was most meaningful was when uh, we found out this was going to happen. And I was sitting with the commissioner and I said, and, and the governor, and I said, we do not want to be a seat time driven um, funded model. We don't want you to pay us for showing up. We believe that virtual education um, is only maximized by a student's performance and a student be able, being able to accelerate and finish sooner or take longer if they need the time. So, um, you know, if people don't believe 
we're, we'll take performance-based. We will be funded on completion, successful completion. And oh, by the way, successful, successful completion does not mean that I failed, but I completed. Um, that certainly was a huge moment in the Florida Virtual School um, life, so to speak. Um, and then, you know, I think that <clears throat> one, of the, one of the proudest moments that I had um, was when we won the Cody Award, which is a, an award that is designed for, as, as you know, Steve, for software um, publishers and developers. And the fact that we as a public school would win an award for the software that we've developed was just a huge affirmation to the incredible team that we had, the work that we had done, and um, um, certainly the fact that a, a public school and a group of, of public educators um, could do something great. So those are three that come to mind. So for me, there was a sort of an element running through that of flexibility being willing to change your mind at certain times, being willing to look at something different. Do you think that's inherent in kind of starting from scratch? Or would you say that your team in particular are a group of people who have been willing to kind of um, to look at things anew on a regular basis? Um, early on, certainly for probably the first six years, the team that I hired knew from the day I, I did the hiring at that point in time and when I sat down to interview someone I was very, very clear and direct and, you know, oh by the way, you may wake up tomorrow and your life may change and, you know, you're the only um, uh, art history teacher, therefore um, vacations are going to be a challenge. Um, all of those kinds of things in the beginning and, and I think that what, what really built the foundation of the culture for Florida Virtual School was the fact that People came with a passion. Um, they didn't come for a job. They came to make a difference, and they came to change education as we know it. When we hire people, we talk a lot about change. But you know, change is, is always easy when it's not about you. So it's easy to say to yourself and someone else that I like change, you know, I'm a team player, um, I can adjust. And then when it becomes about you, it becomes more difficult. So we, uh, we do do um, a lot of upfront up, up work with our applicants to make sure that they are um, the right people for the job. We believe it's a, it, is much, it is a dialogue um, and that it's, it's only a win-win if the right people are here and that <clears throat> we, we try to some degree to kind of scare people off. We laugh about it, but we want to make sure that people really understand what they're getting into. Um, technology changes underneath us and therefore we have to change with it or before it and um, that's not what we're accustomed to doing in our traditional classrooms. We're accustomed to um, having uh, a pretty much a consistent type of environment uh, year over year and so yes, um, we have tried to build a team of people who can not only accept change but drive change, that gets more difficult as we get larger and it takes more of my focus as uh, we move forward. Um, but it is a constant focus and I, and I, and I think that at the leadership level, um, we do have people who really do get it and they understand and about half of our executive team has come from business and industry. So we are not all um, career educators. I think in some ways you intriguingly challenge some of the thoughts that regularly get expressed on the program, like the involvement of people from business. One I want to get to is sort of measurement and the value of measurement. And maybe that's a good segue. How do you evaluate your success? I know you look at AP scores and how students do on APs. When someone asks you, how do Florida Virtual School students do compared with courses they take elsewhere? How do you typically respond and are people satisfied with the answer? You know, we have, have been very fortunate as well as diligent about building a, a, a culture of quality in Florida and the universities in Florida, probably to a university, will tell you that when they see Florida Virtual School on a transcript, they're actually excited. 
Um, you know, uh, we have have driven home the the idea that we're focused on what a student leaves us with versus um, the grade in terms of their knowledge. So a student will likely leave us with a higher grade than they would in a traditional classroom because we allow a student to resubmit and we don't move a child forward if they are failing. Um, if they fail chapter one, they stay at chapter one and we make sure they know that material before we move them to chapter two, which is where the any pace comes in into the picture. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, in terms of, of quality and, and being able to substantiate what we do, um, there have been a couple of studies. One has been the Tax Watch study that's been so well um, uh, reported back in 2007. We recently have an efficacy study for our, our conspiracy code um, intensive reading game where the results are quite positive as compared to um, a blind uh, random sampling traditional classroom. And you hire teachers that are incented both intrinsically and extrinsically by their student success. And you continue to drill into staff, all staff, that we are not successful unless our students are successful. And oh, by the way, teaching only occurs when learning occurs. So putting in your time does not equal learning. And oh, by the way, it really doesn't equal teaching. So um, when I, I think the highlight of my day, and I usually get about one a day, is when I get an email from a parent or a student where they basically tell us that we've changed their life. And I received one two hours ago where a parent indicated that their child had been failing miserably in math and had gotten behind um, by at least a year. And um, they came to Florida Virtual School really as a last resort. And based on how our teacher reached out to that student and took that student by the hand, determined where they were, where they needed to, to be, and took them there, that student is not only making A's in math, but they're actually looking at um, being on the honor roll in their traditional school and are considered now a quote unquote math whiz. So those are the kinds of things that make you really feel like um, you're making a difference and it's, and it's real. So Julie, I'm interested in uh, the degree to which those differences or um, sort of significant ways in which you feel like students' lives are impacted relate to the technology specifically or just to the idea of being able to do things differently? That too is a great question. Um, <clears throat> it's a combination of all of the above. When people start to talk about you know, what's better, the blended, the hybrid, the full online, the traditional classroom. You know, I, I kind of go back to it's different for every student. And oh, by the way, not only is it different for every student, it's different for every student with every different discipline. They may uh, do extremely well in a classroom with English and they may do much better online in math or vice versa. And <clears throat> so, you know, certainly as we look at that and we look at um, how our students fare in that regard, it's, it's really important that we think about the kids that are in our schools that have kind of given up and, and, and they've, they've, they've been with the same kids for several years. They're either seen as the troublemaker, they're seen as the student who's behind, has learning difficulties or they're seen as a smart kid who's the nerd. And they can come into an online environment and through the technology, they can reinvent themselves. They can have a one-on-one -on -one discussion with a teacher, a one-on-one -on -one whiteboard session through Illuminate with a teacher where nobody sees their mistakes or nobody sees their successes. And all of a sudden that teacher can draw out of that child their talents and their skills and their self-confidence that get squashed in a classroom with their peers. And these kids emerge so often as kids who wake up and go, wow, I am really a learner. I'm not that bad. 
I, I actually am pretty good at math. I'm not stupid. And so I think that um, whether or not it's the ability to work through a virtual course where they can reread, they can go back, they can redo, um, they can uh, seek some extra help, their, their pace is not defined by the fact that the report is due on Friday, um, or it's the fact that they have these kind of tools like the one we're in right now where <clears throat> they can have a one-on-one -on -one or a one-on-many and no one knows them. So um, in their virtual classes, nobody knows if they are a quote-unquote troublemaker in their traditional school. Nobody knows what kind of tennis shoes they wear. Nobody knows where they live. Um, nobody knows what kind of car their parents drive. Um, but they can communicate as an individual either um, publicly and openly or one-on-one -on -one with a teacher. And it is, uh, in my opinion, it is dramatic in terms of the changes that we see in our students. I hope I'm not too delayed. I did get a little bit of an audio delay there. Julie, when you describe the successes of Florida Virtual School, do people ever feel as though they kind of need to defend traditional schools? And, and how do you kind of allay those concerns that the successes of the virtual school are an indication of, of maybe some larger negative messages about traditional school? Yeah, I actually talk about that every time I speak in that our traditional schools do a phenomenal job for most of our students. When we started Florida Virtual School, our goal was not to replicate what students already had, but to reinvent and create an environment that students um, that, that, that didn't exist, so that students had another way to be successful. And so it is never um, my intent to um, uh, criticize or call out the, um, the inequities of a traditional school. I think that most importantly for me, it's really about the fact that every student is different and as educators we should be driven by making sure um, that every student can be successful and putting them in the environment that is most right for them where they can exceed and, and excel and that for some kids that classroom social experience is what drives them, um, it's what jazzes them. And for some kids that never open their mouth in a classroom and try to shrink into the wall, an online environment oftentimes gives them a voice they've never had. So <clears throat> for me, it really is about the combination and the fact that what we should be doing as educators is giving kids all kinds of options and allowing them to explore where they will be most successful, in which subject areas, and in which environments, and letting them combine them and letting them um, try them and experience them um, and then and that we as educators should, should judge ourselves. We are only successful in our field and our career if the students we touch are also successful and, and I believe that so strongly that you know we can't call ourselves teachers unless kids are learning. Sweet. If we spend a moment talking about the student experience, um, one, one of the questions that came to mind for me was, are there particular subjects which tend to, to uh, be better taught or have inherent advantages of being taught when they're taught virtually? There are those that are um, the logical ones, social studies and English. I mean, it, those are classic because students, uh, you know, have a lot of opportunity in those environments to write and to read and to express themselves. Um, but when you really want to look at kind of the golden egg and you look at science, science is amazing in an online environment. Number one, in a traditional school, typically um, there are more boys, there are more males than females in the science courses, especially as you go up through the grades. Um, to the higher level courses. At Florida Virtual School, we always have more girls than boys in our science classes, no matter what the level, whether it's AP or whether it's physical <coughs> science at a ninth grade or an eighth grade level. That's intriguing to me. Um, that says to me that it's a, a, a bit more of a risk 
free environment for for females to come in and not be intimidated by uh, by the discipline. In addition, uh, it's such a great opportunity for for kids to actually experience the simulations and um, oh, just the, the there's there's just tremendous tremendous learning objects and and video assets that can uh, bring science alive in an online environment that you may not experience in a classroom with a lecture or textbook. And um, then you look at computer science and robotics. We have a tremendous uh, computer science program with a robotics um, uh, flair that kids have just fallen in love with and they have um, learned so much uh, about themselves and what, what they can do. And uh, the, the critical thinking component that people forget about in an online environment, there's not a teacher like waiting with bated breath. The teachers are there, and our teachers respond usually within the hour, um, very, very quickly. But a student has to stop when they get stuck and go, hmm, now what do I do? They can't raise their hand and ask a question. So we teach them um, to actually think, OK, try, try again, try another way. Um, that's a critical thinking skill. We, we actually have put them in an environment that mirrors the world of work and the world of post-secondary education. So they're getting that experience. We've put them in an environment where they have to learn time management skills, and they also have to, to, to learn to be present. Um, a gifted student in an online class can't sit in the back of the, the room and just absorb the content and get an A. They have to do in a virtual course. They have to do everything another student has to do. And uh, sometimes that's a challenge for them. So um, uh, it has a, a tremendous amount of benefits um, that are life skills. Appreciated that uh, part of the story. Uh, you know, I also smiled at um, one of the accounts of physical education, and um, and I was at a conference where a gentleman spoke about teaching art online, and was surprised to hear him say that he would never go back to the physical classroom, having had the experience of teaching art online. And that wasn't a subject I would necessarily have considered one that I would immediately say, "Oh, that's better online." You know, me either. And then I watched it come alive as those courses were developed. And it just becomes a different kind of art. Um, number one, uh, you avail yourselves because it is an online course. So it, you know, as a virtual course, you reach out and you, you seek to find all the art around the world. And you bring that into the classroom as a component of your course. And so kids are taking virtual field trips um, you know, through museums throughout the world. And they are um, experiencing something that we could used to only experience if we actually traveled. And um, then they are having group discussions with kids that are unlike themselves in, in all over the state or in some respects all over the world, uh, um, uh, just, just a, a, about the art itself. When it comes to the actual fine art of drawing or creating, it's really just a different medium. If we think about what we do in the classroom with paper and pencil and crayons and markers and scissors and, 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 and paint, now all of a sudden art becomes uh, just a different type of art uh, with different tools and different products. And um, what I hear our teachers say in regards to art is that when they thought that creativity was going to be a challenge in this type of world, it actually has turned out to be um, such a driver for creativity. And kids have been able to produce uh, at such a higher level because they've had to think of how to do it differently. It should have occurred to me, but I'm surprised to, to have the thought now that in some ways, uh, one of the unique aspects of what you're doing is that your teachers have to be tech savvy in order to participate. Yes, that's true. When we first started, we actually um, looked for the capacity to learn. So a teacher who would interview with us 
and was not that tech savvy, but had a capacity and a desire and a drive to learn, uh, we felt like that we could teach them and we could get them there. That was during a time where kids were not that tech savvy. Um, you fast forward 10 years where we are today, and it's pretty important in a virtual environment that the teachers have um, maybe not the same level of capacity that some of our very sophisticated students do, but that they are definitely at a level where they are on the same, they're, they're on the same playing field as our students are. So they do have to be tech savvy because like the student who is at home going or in, or in a lab going, hmm, my teacher is not in front of me. I cannot ask her a question right this moment and get an answer immediately. The teachers are in the same situation. Um, they're at a distance. Their, um, their classroom is their technology. And they have to be able to try, try again, try another way, and figure things out when um, a challenge might occur. So um, we actually give all of our applicants a technology test when they come in as part of the screening process. It's pretty basic, uh, but at the same time, it gives uh, them and us a feel for whether or not they have those basic skills of which that we can build upon. Another thing that struck me about the teacher's role was that because you produce the course content and not in insignificant amount of money, their role changes because of that, right? Absolutely. Um, we actually uh, do something quite unique, and it is based on research during our first five years, and that is that um, all teachers, regardless of whether they have 30 years experience or five years of experience, uh, come into Florida Virtual School at the same base, at, at the same level of pay. The reason for that is because we have <clears throat> the development team that develops the content and the curriculum. Uh, and what we're looking for are teachers that can come in, take that content and that curriculum, and deliver it, create a relationship with students, have a, have a, a wonderful connection with students, and bring those students to a level of success. What we learned in our first five years of research in this environment if you had 20 years of experience versus five, that didn't necessarily improve our outcomes. Um, it's not to say that there's not some maturity and savvy that you bring to the job based on that experience, but it did not improve our outcomes. So therefore, we made a determination early on that um, as we hired teachers that we would bring them all in at the same level because that's kind of what our research told us in terms of what we were, what we were paying for. And, um, and our teachers have accepted that. And um, they come to us for a variety of different reasons. And uh, um, whether or not they're, they're young and energetic and want something unique, or whether they have been in the business for a while and they just want to change. So um, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just different. You manage professional development. We have a professional development department that is phenomenal. Um, most of our teachers finish a school year with well over 100 hours of professional development, which is unheard of in um, uh, the school system. Uh, typically, if a teacher ends up a year with 30 hours of professional development, that's pretty phenomenal. Um, we have, uh, we create the professional development tracks for new teachers for uh, peer coaching. We have a management track. We have a, um, a, a talent management track. It is online. It's face-to-face. -face, it's uh, a combination. Uh, we have content buddies that we use with teachers who are new um, to mentor them. Um, we're currently licensing and selling our professional development outside the state of Florida, and then we provide it to our partner school districts in the state of Florida free of charge. It is both 
specific to pedagogy. Um, that's an area that we are really taking a focus on this year. And it's also specific on the mechanics in terms of the tools. And then it gets into the skills, the, some of the soft skills as well as the, the actual day-to-day -day management skills such as time management, tracking, communicating with parents, um, dealing with conflict. Um, we have what we call bite sessions, which are hour-long illuminate sessions that are recorded where a teacher can go in and uh, pop into those anytime. We, we have a ton of those. I, I couldn't even give you a count uh, where a teacher realizes that they have a need or their supervisor realizes that they have a need and they will point them in the direction of a bite session, um, an illuminate session that has, has, has been done and recorded just for them. I should address this when we were talking about the students, but what's the balance between uh, how much time is spent sort of live synchronously with students and how much is through forum chat or messages or email? Um, email, not so much anymore. Kids choose that as their last mode of communication most often. We actually have more voice-to-voice -voice phone communication in some respects than we do email. Lots and lots of text, but in addition, almost every teacher in every course has at least one, if not two to three, live Illuminate sessions per week. Those could be tutoring sessions where kids drift in and out, and there are multiple teachers available to help them in some respects. For example, our chemistry team will have multiple teachers available and they'll be in different Illuminate rooms where they will focus on a particular skill so a student can drift in and go into the room that they need based on the area of understanding that they're, they're focused on. In addition, teachers will actually do live lessons where they're focused on a specific uh, skill or a lesson where they're delivering some instruction and then kids are having the opportunity to work together on uh, projects or have discussions. We actually uh, do seventh grade recess in our Illuminate, <coughs> which I don't know if you knew this, but our middle school teachers actually created recess. And so on Fridays, our middle school kids can come into Illuminate. They can go into a breakout room where one of the rooms might be Pictionary, another might be Hangman, another one might be Charades, who knows. And uh, they go in there and they just have fun with each other and fun with their teacher. Again, to build those relationships, uh, to build that um, comfort with themselves and with the environment. So we're at that place in the interview where I'm looking at the questions I want to ask and knowing that at some point I have to shift to Q&A, and uh, it's a terrible balance. So I'm going to ask just a couple more quick questions, and, and then we'll um, move to Q&A. And Tamara, I have been making a note of your questions. If someone other than Tamara has asked a question that you don't feel has been answered, please feel free to put it in the chat again, and I'll try and pick it up. Um, I'm interested in the predictions that um, Clay Christensen and Michael Horn uh, made in Disrupting Class. And that you know, that's sort of the, I think the common one is that by 2020, 50% of all classes will be held online. As you look at that now, do you feel like there's any possibility that that's accurate? I think it's all. I think it's accurate. And some days I think it's an underestimate. Now, Michael talked about that last week at the um, Alliance for Education Summit in D.C. and the fact that. When they first came out with that prediction, people thought they were crazy because it was an overestimate, and now they're actually challenging the fact that it might be an underestimate. We're seeing an acceleration as students actually experience virtual learning and they get a taste of it. And they like it. They want it. Um, if we can overcome the barriers within the states that prevent virtual learning or cap virtual learning or discourage virtual learning, I think that students will absolutely choose to blend their learning environment, take some of their courses online, take some of their courses in classrooms, have some of their courses that are a combination of the two. 
Um, I don't think that we will move all to hybrid. I don't think we will move all to online. And I think that our students are going to drive uh, those decisions. Again, I've had an audio slowdown, so I apologize if I'm delayed coming back. Julie, there's been a lot of discussion around education in the U.S. lately. Um, it feels like it's increased uh, a lot this year in particular with uh, education nation, education uh, waiting for Superman and race to nowhere. You know, from your experiences as you hear these discussions taking place, you know, what, what makes you want to really raise your hand and say something? What, what do you think you've learned that would help to inform those conversations? Uh, you know, um, uh, we have learned so much about the human spirit and so much about kids and, and what drives them. We have learned that, you know, you can never give up on a child and assume that they are um, destined to fail, that if you can put a child in a different environment, there is so much opportunity to not only save them, um, but for but to put them in in a, a situation where they will thrive and they will learn to learn and they will learn to lo love learning and themselves. One of the things I shared today, I had an interview today with um, a Harvard reporter, and one of the things I said is that yeah, right now there's this huge buzz around hybrid learning, and I believe that. Um, that, that that is going to be an explosion in, in the country, if not the world. And there's value, huge value in that model. At the same time, we shouldn't forget the fact that those kids that are struggling with the peer pressure that may be bullied, kids who haven't found their voice or have always kind of been the underdog and therefore they're, they're never willing to step up and step out in a, in a classroom that that fully online experience is going to be their, their saving grace. At Florida Virtual School, we try to provide a variety of experience, whether they're fully online, whether they're hybrid, whether they're blended. And so, um, you know, I, I, I want to raise my hand and shout, you know, let's try not to pigeonhole anything at this point. Let's try to make sure that we are really focused on the student and listening to the student. I get a little concerned sometimes that there's this great drive to the hybrid environment because we can collect them all and keep them in their, in their seats in school. And I'm, I think students will tell us whether or not that they, you know, what they want. And what our students tell us is they, they want the best of both. You know, they, they want to have technology in their classrooms where they're learning on ground. They want to have some face-to-face -face and traditional um, in, environments. And then they want to have a, uh, some of those courses where they can go home in their room and at 10 o'clock at night they can log on and do their thing and, um, and do it in the privacy of their own, in, of, of their own home. So um, I also want to raise my hand and shout sometimes that um, the teacher is still a critical component, and technology is not going to replace a teacher. I, I certainly hope technology is not going to replace a teacher in my lifetime. Um, we find that you can take average curriculum with a phenomenal teacher, and you can have a phenomenal outcome. You can take fabulous curriculum with a not-so-average teacher and have a dismal outcome. That teacher is so important. How you, how you train them, how you water them, how you feed them, how you nourish them, how you praise and respect them, and how they then pass that along to their students is, is absolutely the secret sauce, we believe, to the success of a child. Well, I have to say, Julie, I think you're uh I think you're one of my great heroes uh, in this area. We're going to switch the Q&A, and uh, there were a couple of questions. Uh, Tamara asked that I'm, I've recorded here. If you have a question for Julie, feel free to raise your hand. That's the hand with the green up arrow, and uh, we'll give you the microphone, or you can put the question in the chat. Uh, Tamara asked, what does the day of a virtual teacher look like? 
and what does the day of a virtual student look like? Uh, it's different for everyone in both situations. Um, a virtual teacher who works out of their home, um, all of our teachers have a different schedule because we give them that flexibility and we actually um, evaluate them on the performance of their students. So we have some, some teachers that start their day at 4 a.m. They then stop their day at 8 o'clock when their kids are, are going to school and take some time during the day to, to run their errands, go to the gym, what have you. They will then gear back up when they're at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and they may um, then take a little time off at dinner and then they may be back online in the evening. Um, in addition, they have a cell phone that is attached to them so that kids can reach them on an as-need basis. Uh, then you may have you know, a teacher that um, starts their day at 10 a.m. And um, then you may have some, some teachers that spend until midnight online with kids. We require teachers be available from 8 to 8 and on weekends for consult, but that doesn't mean that they have to sit in front of a computer all that time. That means that they have to be able to react to students when they need them. Students, it certainly depends. Um, typically, our homeschool students do most of their work before 1 o'clock, uh, 1 p.m. They start early and they finish early, and then they have experiences in the after afternoon with their cohorts or their parents. Um, our kids who are in school, um, if they don't have extracurricular activities, they may get online at 3 in the afternoon, or they may get online at 8 o'clock at night. The beauty of it is that for the teacher and the student, um, it's all about them. My personal experience as a student has been great with Florida Virtual School, first and foremost. But uh, just a brief synopsis of my day. I usually am up in my home office uh, from about 8 until the wee hours of the morning from uh, until about 2. And uh, I love working. I have the drive to learn with the FLVS. I did spend some time in traditional school, and that wasn't so great. But now with uh, the alternative learning environment like FLVS, I can succeed and be in an environment uh, where I can work one-on-one -on -one with my teachers, and I love it. No, I actually didn't like traditional school because of the behavioral problems of the other students. That was my biggest issue. I really enjoy learning, and that was a major issue. I've, I've switched so many schools in the traditional school setting, and they have all had that same issue. So that was my big turnoff, and I became, became homeschooled very recently, and now I love it. Julie, um, another question was, what is the portal you use to deliver the courses? We currently use an application um, from a company called UCompass. The name of the LMS is uh, Educator. We are moving to Blackboard and are in the midst of a customization project with them. Just a full disclosure, that wasn't a setup question. Uh, it is important to let people know that I do now work for Blackboard since Solomon was acquired by Blackboard. Um, if you have a question for Julie and you'd like to take the microphone, please use the hand with the green up arrow. Um, Tamara asks, what other virtual schools do you collaborate with? And maybe, Julie, you could explain a little bit of how um, your, your global schools program works and, and, um, and, those, and the franchise program. 
I will start with the Global School. Uh, the Global School is actually a tuition-based program that we offer outside the state of Florida, and we actually have students from all over the world. And it's a mirror of Florida Virtual School, but it is open to students uh, in other states and, and, as I said, all over the world. We typically work with districts and with, with state departments where they contract with us for um, needs that they can't fulfill. They may have a student who needs an AP Environmental Science. They may have three students who need AP Environmental Science. We provide for that rather than them having to hire a teacher on a tuition basis. In terms of the other virtual schools that we collaborate with, um, almost all the state virtual schools, we, we work with them in some capacity or another, whether that is uh, collaborating in regards to defining uh, quality indicators or best practices, or whether we provide content or training to them. Um, we work with North Carolina, we work with Michigan, we work with Alabama, West Virginia, and, um, and, and, and many others. So um, there's a question in the chat. Do students participate in GOBs, History Days, Science Fairs? And if so, how is Illuminate used to prepare for these? This is really a fun one. Um, we actually have students who do, um, they may not do a science fair, but we have Latin contests, uh, regional contests, state contests, national contests, um, as well as some of the same types of contests, contests with computer science and math. And what's really cool is that our kids will actually work together on their projects in Illuminate. They've never met each other. They will prepare for those competitions. And they will show up to those competitions prepared um, through their virtual world, so to speak. And they always win. It's, it has been the most fascinating observation over the last 10 years. Our Latin students always seem to place first, second, or third. Um, we also have kids in the computer science area. We have 10 different clubs that are available to all of our students, as well as um, students around the state. Those clubs are things like um, national honor societies for Latin, Spanish, and English. Uh, we have a, a UN club. Um, I'm trying to think of, we have a science club. Um, I can't think of them all off the top of my head. But anyway, they do all their work and their collaboration and communication in Illuminate. Okay, so we're in our final minutes here. If you have a question for Julie, uh, please raise your hand. You can use the hand with the green up arrow or put it in the chat. Um, Julie, I'm interested in um, sort of a, a unique aspect of the measurement and the data that you do and the degree to which that, that's kind of a polarizing issue in traditional schools, um, how much you measure and how you determine success. What, what can you bring to bear in that discussion? Um, you know, we don't shy away from the data. We actually try to teach our teachers how to use the data. Uh, we're, we're a very data-rich virtual school. I'm sure that we are the most data-rich virtual school probably in the world at this point in time. And what we try to do is use the data to obviously inform decisions and next steps. So um, we'll look at the data in terms of where students are in, in their pace. We'll look at the data in terms of which students are faring better in certain subject areas and and why. Um, we'll compare by teacher to see whether or not we have certain teachers who are absolutely excelling and others that might need some additional professional development or assistance. We'll also use that data to determine which lessons are um, uh, that m many kids or most kids have difficulty with to go back and look at the lesson to see whether or not it's actually the content. Um, the actual subject or, or standard itself, or whether it is how that lesson is written. Um, we, so we use that data to determine whether or not our courses are effective, whether or not our teaches, teachers are 
effective or, or need additional help. We'll also look at that data by a student-on-student -student basis to see whether or not a student is participating on a regular basis and indeed that student's having trouble or challenges. And we really try to teach our teachers how to use the data, pull what they can on their own, and then um, be available to pull what they need for them on an as-need basis. It's, it's, a, it's a huge part of our life, whereas I think that certainly when I was in a traditional school, it was something that you looked at um, kind of on a quarterly basis or you know, when you did a test and the results came back, you looked at the data. Um, we use it every day to inform our decisions. Your description of that is really interesting to me. When Diane Ravitch was on the show, we talked about the total quality movement and the degree to which data is used to work together to improve outcomes, whereas a lot of the discussion about data is kind of punitive or finding fault. I think you've um, sort of eloquently described an environment in which working with the teachers who use the data to improve the system as a whole and individual performance. Um, uh, we have a question here that is of enormous interest to me. Gabriella asks, is there an email group for um, or a community for virtual teachers? And that's intriguing to me. Is there a Ning-like community for virtual teachers? We don't actually have that type of a community internally. We probably should, but we don't at this time. But um, INACOL and SREB, Southern Regional Education Board, do have a teacher community, and I know many of our teachers belong to that. And I'm sure you could find information on the um, SREB website. Um, Julia, I think we're, we're in our final moments here. How important a time, a moment in time, is this for education? Um, I, we've been talking lately about this is the moment in time. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been fascinating to us because we've kind of been entrenched, this, entrenched in this world for the last 14 years. And as I mentioned earlier, as we hear national speakers and decision makers talk, we feel like we sometimes could have written their speeches. And um, you know, we, we not only have an economic crisis, but we have a learning crisis. The PISA results were just announced this week, and they're, they're just horrible. Um, even our highest performing students are below um, the high, the, the below performing middle, you know, average performing students in other countries. And um, that data doesn't lie. And we've learned that as we've used the excuse that other countries don't actually teach their poverty-ridden students or their um, um, or all their students that that's not the case any longer. And I think we've run out of excuses as a country. And so um, I think that we are in a moment in time where we have got to look at other options and other opportunities for our students. We are clearly falling behind. And uh, no matter which test or which um, uh, group of data that you look at, um, it's undeniable. So we're in a crisis. I know that um, Secretary Duncan on Tuesday in a live broadcast actually stated we were in a crisis and that we have got to change the way we do things. We have an opportunity to truly look at our, our teaching profession as a profession. And we truly have an opportunity to look at our students as individuals and determine what we need to do for each and every one of them. So uh, I think this is, is certainly in my lifetime, this is the most critical time in history with education. Julie, thank you for coming on tonight. I'm clapping. You can clap for Julie by using the clapping hand at the bottom of your participant window. Um, many thanks to uh, Learn Central and Eliminate for my employment and for the ability to run the interview series. Um, please uh, note the upcoming guest speakers, and I uh, hope you can join us for one. Julie, that really was a pleasure to spend some time with you. I really appreciate you taking the time. 
Thank you, Steve. I so appreciate being here. And thanks to all of you that joined tonight and all your wonderful questions and comments. That's terrific. Hey, Julia, our commitment to you as a speaker is to let you go so that you don't have to linger. You've committed the hour, and the hour is done. So again, our thanks to Julie. Thanks to you for being here. I'm sorry if my uh, internet connection's creating kind of a lag during the session. I hope that they uh, were not distracting. Um, that this perfect storm of bad internet uh, certainly got to me today. Thanks so much for attending tonight. Thanks to Julie. Thanks to Illuminate. Thanks to all of you for coming. Hope you have a great evening or day wherever you are.